Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Today kicks off the first of the career-changing episodes. So there's a lot of people I've spoken to, and this is one of the reasons why I was inspired to actually start this myself, but there's a lot of people I've spoken to who have actually changed careers either recently or in the past, and they've got some pretty good stories. And so the guy I got on today, I actually went to school with, and he's actually my mortgage broker. He grew up in Melbourne, and at the age of six, he came to Adelaide following the separation of his parents. We both attended Thomas More College and he went on to study at the University of South Australia before moving or starting his career in an admin role for a large four, a law firm where he spent four years there before moving into the workers' compensation industry where he spent 13 years across different roles there. Uh, in 2019, he decided to do what he'd been thinking about for some time. He quit working for the man, quit his job, and he started his own business as a mortgage broker. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Stephen Smith, thanks for jumping on, man. Thanks for having me, Simon. Good to see you, mate. Uh, loving that you're doing this podcast, and thanks for having me on as a guest. No, no worries, man. We spoke about this a little while ago, and mm. I'm really reaching out to a few people closer to me to just get their experience, their story about, I guess, why they wanted to change initially and how long maybe they were thinking about it for. But even before that, you know, like just a bit of a, a story, you know, growing up, some of the challenges you had as well, because I know that, you know, as a young kid, you went through some challenges yourself. Um, do you just want to start start off, man? Talk about your life in Melbourne <clears throat> and how it all sort of transpired from there. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess I, you know, at the time I kind of thought of it as a pretty normal upbringing. Um, but, you know, looking back in hindsight, it, it probably wasn't, you know, um, parents, separated at a young age which back then wasn't wasn't a super common thing as it is now uh so you know left melbourne where i was you know born and and grew up with both parents and then moved over to adelaide uh you know with my dad who raised me and my brother and sister um and you know we you know we grew up in the northern suburbs of adelaide which as you know isn't isn't a super affluent <laughs> area it's pretty pretty rough we, area we turned out all right man so that's right that's right we did turn out all right but I mean, at the time, you know, you don't, when you're a young kid growing up, you don't really think about that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we, dad put us into pretty good schools, you know, yeah. considering, you know, yeah. sure, went, went to a Catholic primary school, went to a Catholic high school as you did. Um, you know, so we were happy enough as kids, you know, not a lot of money around, but, you know, probably that probably actually helped when the career, <laughs> career switch came around, which we'll talk about a bit later. So, yeah. yeah. And like growing up, so you also had, your mum or part the passing of your mum, and that was in 2004. So you already sort of started your working career then, mm. but you just want to talk about that a bit because I know you're the oldest child in your family. You've got a couple of younger siblings. Yep. What happened after that? Yeah, so that was obviously tough, you know, being the, you know, it was, it was quite a sudden thing. It wasn't anything that we were expecting. Um, and obviously being the eldest, you know, you feel or obviously a responsibility to kind of step up and make sure that everyone else is okay. Um and, you know, after that, we, so we actually have, so there's me, my brother and sister, we actually have a, um, a younger technically stepbrother. And we, we've always thought of him as our brother, but, you know, he was, uh, um, same mum, but different father, 
to you know a relationship that my mum had later um and he was only 11 when she passed away so um he, his dad wasn't in his life at the time um he hadn't been around since he was a baby so um he, he essentially had no parents left so um after our mother passed away i essentially became his legal guardian um he was you know obviously school age so um he moved back to to adelaide with me and i put him into school our school that we went to you and i simon thomas yeah. moore college yeah, got yeah. him in there last minute and kind of <laughs> took on that almost parent role um from there which you know as a young person myself i wasn't older didn't have don't have kids at that age so um you know that was a pretty tough experience at that that time how old were you at the time man you would have been early 20s maybe yeah yeah correct yeah and so what sort of process was involved man like how did how do you get legal <clears throat> guardianship of someone in that situation was there a lot of paperwork was there court hearings and stuff like that i don't there wasn't court hearings or anything like that there was just some some kind of paperwork and you know obviously advising whoever need you know centrelink and those kind of people um that you know you were taking over guardianship i think there was some lawyers involved obviously when you know sorting out my mum's affairs and all that kind of thing so um yeah look that it wasn't anything that caused me any great issues but the main thing was obviously getting him into school getting him settled um and you know at that age he was you know kind of developing a bit of a rebellious streak the little little guy was so um you know that was that was a pretty tough thing yeah okay how did you go personally at the time like you described it as pretty tough like did you just did it grow on you did you just grow into the role and develop and sort of get those qualities or change or did you have to change things as you as you went because you saw things maybe weren't working or going to plan the way Maybe you imagine. Yeah, I think so. It's one of those things that you can't ever really plan for, can you? I mean, it's just you kind of just have to run with it, and all of a sudden you're just thrust into this role of of being responsible for this person. Um, so you know, I don't de- I don't doubt that I did certain things wrong. You know, you try and keep as much of your life going as you can, but and maybe that 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 was something that, upon reflection, maybe I could have changed a bit. But um, yeah. It's just one of those things. He he ended up um, going back to Melbourne of his own accord um, down the track. So, you know, I think about whether I succeeded in that role and, you know, whether I did everything I could to to keep him on the straight and narrow. But I, and I think back that maybe he had to kind of work some stuff out for himself as well. So it's yeah. all turned out now. He's, he's, he's doing well. He's got kids of his own. Oh, and, nice. uh, yeah, so... Well, you know what, man? I don't think you ever know what you're doing as a parent. I've got myself, <laughs> and yeah, I'm still learning as I go as well. Because I'm sure, I can tell you, man, what you did, what I did the first time around, I changed a lot the second time around. And my daughter's yep. eight, my son's four, so four years, a little bit wiser as well. And yeah, you know, you're about to find that out as well. I know you and Lucy are in January. Is that right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we got a little little boy on the way, due in the first week of January. So uh, I'm about to. Uh, Awesome. I di- didn't have to change nappies the first for the first one. He was eleven. That would have been a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, uh, we'll do we'll do it from the very start. Nah, that's awesome, man. Nah, it's the best thing. You, you get to watch these little little humans grow and develop. So yeah, I'm sure you'll love it, man. And you've already got some experience of maybe what you can expect. You know, as as he grows up, the little fella. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's go back to school. I want to talk about school. You were a few years ahead of me at the time, yep. so. Yep. You didn't sort of hang around too much at school, but um, did you know what you wanted to do? Like, did you have any idea? I know you went to uni, but... 
I did it really. Um, at, you know, what I wanted to do took me a really long time, you know, something I've only kind of found in the last few years. Um, I remember really liking, really being into photography in school, but I never really pursued it. Um, in year 12, I remember I really liked uh, doing accounting. That was one of our subjects in year 12. So I thought I wanted to be an accountant. So I initially enrolled in um, commerce at UniSA, um, but I uh, ended up changing before I started. But yeah, to answer your question, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in, in school, no. Yeah, it's pretty common, man. Well, that was the case for me and, and many others that I went through year 12. Yeah. Well, so how long were you at uni for? Like, did you, did you, did I was at uni for four years. Okay. Um, and even then, I still didn't know. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it as um, I was kind of thinking about what we we're going to talk about in this pod. And mm. I realized I kind of just drifted through uni. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of, I ended up doing like a, um, like a general business management kind of degree. And um, yeah, I, I just, I didn't really have any purpose or any idea of what I wanted to do. Um, so I kind of ended up just drifting into, into the workforce from yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Common story, man. So four years yeah. there and then you got a role in a law firm. Actually, that's not yeah. the same law firm as my sister-in-law was working. It was, yes. Oh, so that was, that was my first job. It was Thompson Playford it was yeah. called at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was literally, you know, admin. It was kind of a entry level kind of uh, job. Obviously, I wasn't doing law or anything like that. So I wasn't working in on the law side of the business but yeah I was, I was an admin and um that was my first full-time job uh so yeah I, I actually really liked that they're great people and um you know I didn't really have too much responsibility which at the time was <laughs> again fitting with that drifting kind of thing yeah. that we're talking about I kind of I kind of just did that as well yeah did you learn a lot there um I probably learned a bit about um responsibility and the fact that you can't just kind of drift so much as you, as you can do in, you know, uni, yeah. for example, and just in other things in life, you can't really do that. Yeah. You know, especially when you're working for a, a corporate business like that. So I kind of um, probably learnt, learnt that. Um, and I think from there, you know, after being there for a, a you know, couple of years, obviously I was still fairly young and I just obviously realised that that's not what I need, I should be doing for a career. So I started getting a little bit more, serious about you know moving on to something with a bit more yeah a bit more depth then you went to workers compensation so is that through the government steve uh no so kind of so i mean the the companies i worked for essentially worked contracts for the government so the government tenders out um, who's going to look after the work work couple scheme for them um so i worked for two of those companies um and that kind of came about, again, I just fell into that and it kind of came about when I was working at, at the law firm at Thompson's and I kind of reached out to a few um, recruitment agencies and I was like, hey, look, this is this is what I'm looking for. I want to kind of work for a, a larger company, something with room to potentially grow, um, obviously income, you know, earning more money, that kind of stuff with the potential for that to increase as well. So, um, yeah had no idea what workers' compensation was. I didn't yeah. even know it was a thing um, at the time and started working for a company called Employees Mutual uh, as, a, as a case manager, so literally looking after people who had been injured at work. Uh, that was my first job there. Um, and, yeah, lasted in that industry for 13 years, all told. 
a long time, man. Thirteen years. <laughs> it is. You said you had different roles there. Like, what were you doing, sort of, towards the latter stages, towards the end? Yeah. So I I moved a kind of couple two or three years in, I guess. Again, drifting probably again, just doing that role, and I think a light switch, kind of light bulb moment for me was you know realizing that people I'd started working with around the same time or even after had been started you know getting promoted into you know management roles. So I think that was a bit of a light bulb for me to kind of put my head down and and work towards that, which is what I did. So eventually. Know, moved into got you know a team leader role and manager role and that kind of thing so I've eventually worked my way into into the leadership space which is really good and and really learned a lot um, so for the second part of my career so I was at Employers Mutual for uh, almost six years and then I was at Gallagher Bassett who was a, essentially the competition yeah. um, I was there for um, almost seven years so um, I learned a lot definitely especially as I became you know, become more responsible when you're a manager, you're looking after other people. Um, yeah. So, you know, I learn a lot about, um, you know, that hard work equals advancement and promotion and that kind of thing. Um, I learned a lot about the importance of your own personal brand. Yeah. Um, and also learn a lot about, you know, just data analysis, reporting, you know, all that kind of stuff, how to look for trends and all that, you know, all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Do you notice a difference when you switch companies? Because I know what I did in, in the past. I moved to a few different companies as well when I was working in the building industry. Yep. And you just, for me, I noticed some changes, um, just in management styles and systems and things like that, which was good for my learning because some were yeah. good changes and some were like not very good changes, you know? So did you notice that as well when you switched over? Like just with the Definitely. people, maybe perhaps too? Definitely. Yeah. So. Employers Mutual is is a much smaller, it's still kind of a national, they've got a footprint across a few different states, whereas Gallagher Bassett is a worldwide multinational company. So they're part of the Arthur J. Gallagher Group, which is Wall Street listed, gigantic, gigantic business. Yeah. Um, so very much more about bottom dollar profit, um, that kind of thing. So um, I learned a lot about that side of business, which, you know, while I, that wasn't something I, I really believed in and wanted to be involved in, you know, forever, um, still, I still, still definitely learned a lot of skills and I learned a lot about how to run business in working for that company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more, man. That's why like, I'd, I'd encourage anyone who's feeling a bit stale to, to try another company in your industry if, if you don't want to take that yep. plunge and, and, you know, you shouldn't just, take a plunge without putting some thought into it anyway, which we'll get to when mm -hmm. we talk about the switch. But I think it's important to have like that experience, that understanding that of how Learn, to be on the yeah. other side, you know what I mean? Because sometimes learning more skills will never What was that? Do. Learning more skills is never going to be bad for, for your career. It just puts everything into context though. It's experience because mm. sometimes you think you've got a really bad manager, for example, and then you go to another company and you go, Oh shit, like that person was actually, they were pretty good, you know, and yeah. vice versa. You, you, might, yeah. you might discover that other people that you thought were good weren't probably as good as what you thought they were either just because of different leadership styles. And then you pick these things up along the way too, which, you know, it's only going to be benefit for your advancement and your development. So, yeah, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say that. Yeah, and one thing I definitely learned when I became a manager was that you different management styles really are a thing like you, you know, 
you kind of understand the different kind of personalities that that are part of a team and and you have to actually tailor the way you communicate you have to tailor the way you deliver messages and all that kind of stuff so being able to see that from that end you know really gives you an appreciation for you know being a manager is tough because you have pressure from both ways you have pressure coming up from your own staff and then you have pressure coming down and people don't always understand that they yeah. all they see is you know someone's telling me what to do and I'm being you know forced to do this however there's there's generally <laughs> there's generally a reason yeah. whether we like it or not and yeah. you o- often have to deliver messages that you don't want to yeah now that's true man couldn't agree more so tell us about like your initial thought process when you're like shit i've got to i've got to do something different here like and obviously roles in workers compensation but at some point you know a a fair distance out perhaps i don't know like how far out did you start thinking about it before you actually like left yeah to be honest i i reckon it was was around 2015 so a long time ago now when you think think back yeah um so I i was a manager i was working in a management role by then um, I really loved, I was working at Gallagher Bassett. I really loved my staff. I loved my colleagues. I loved all the people there, but I didn't really kind of, I felt like my values didn't fit with the, with the company. Um, and I didn't really like what I was doing. I didn't love what I was doing. And I, I kind of came to the realization that I didn't want to kind of advance, you know, do the advancement thing, promotion thing. Um, and I didn't want to be working in an office doing the nine to five for the rest of my life. I kind of came to that really realization that that's not what I, I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually became quite, quite miserable actually. And I, when I think back, um, whether I had to, de- you know, depression, whether it would have been clinically di- diagnosed with depression, I don't know, but I definitely had some of those kind of feelings or symptoms or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So that's really when the idea of doing something for myself kind of the seeds were kind of planted and I really started to think more about it. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it took me quite a while to actually do something about it. But, yeah, I'd say it was probably around then. Yeah. And what was the vibe you got from other people that you were working with? Were they enjoying what they were doing? Because I'm going to throw you, I'm going to talk about, um, a study, well, not a study, but a poll recently, um, which even I'm surprised. I knew that people, a lot of people weren't happy with, with their yeah. role. Um, but just give me your feedback first as to how you found um, at the time. Were they happy or were they complaining all the time? Because that affects you as well, I reckon. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And look, you know, the other thing that was probably relevant to this was that it, uh, the company I worked for, Gallagher Bassett, had only just started business in South Australia in 2013, which is when I moved over there. So the, those first few years of starting up from scratch were, were super tough, right? And as a manager, obviously, you're dealing with lots of stressed people all the time and, and that kind of thing. So I'd, I'd say that played a part. But in terms of other people, you know, feeling the same way as me, I'm sure people did, but I didn't really have many conversations with people, to be honest, about that same thing. Yeah. This is kind of something that I internalized myself and I, it was just the way I felt and I never let it I don't well I hope I didn't but I don't think I ever let it affect my job you yeah. know I, at the end of the day I was responsible for people when I, I needed to do a job and I yeah. and when we talk about the the switch I'll talk more about how important that is to actually keep doing a good job where you're working yeah. um yeah 
Can you just talk about your values as well? So obviously, and you just reiterated that now, that it was important to you to continue to do a good job regardless of that decision you've made mentally that you were gonna you were gonna make that switch. So you continued to yeah have integrity and look after your staff, yeah. do the right thing. And you said a little bit earlier that your values didn't line up with the actual with the company's values. Yeah. You, you yeah, know, so what do you mean by that, man? Yeah, so what I mean by that is that I'm um I don't know, I I'm more of a, a people person, I guess, in that I believe if you create an environment for people to succeed they will because people naturally want to do the right thing and they want to do a good job and um, I guess that was kind of at odds with a very task-based business and a very um, profit-driven business uh, that was trying to impress obviously a new client that the business had as a, yeah. you know being work cover South Australia yeah. so I kind of felt a bit at odds with that um, personally but on the other hand, I'm, I'm I'm quite a consider myself quite a loyal person. So even though I don't necessarily agree with the company and the way that they operate, that doesn't mean I want to you know um, sabotage anything or anything like yeah. that. You know, I want to do the right thing, um, and I want to obviously make sure that um, you know we're we're still delivering what we needed to. Yeah, yeah, that's well said, man. Um... And I think it's important as well to show that integrity and to keep doing to keep doing a good job. But to go back to this uh, poll, there's a company called Gallup, guys. If you yep. haven't heard of this company, I've actually done a strength test through Gallup because I've done some Speakers Institute programs before for my public speaking skills, and they use Gallup. And they they believe Gallup's the number one company in the world for that for strengths and personality traits and things like that. So they did a poll that only got published in March this year, and 85% of people, according to this poll, were dissatisfied and unhappy in their job. That's eight and a half out of 10 people, guys. And I think that's frightening, man, because for a lot of us, we, and I'd say for most, well, for the most part, we give up on ourselves. Like we actually don't give ourselves the chance to, to do something else. So it's, uh, people do it, people switch, but, what was going through your head at the time? Like, obviously, there are some stories that we tell ourselves. There's all these limitations we put on ourselves, and we can think of a million reasons why we can't do something. But when you made that call, and you, you said you made that in 2015, hmm. you know, moving in, was it 2018? Uh, yeah, yeah. Around then, yeah, 2017, yeah. 2018, yeah. Yeah. So how did you actually, like, talk your way through it? And yeah. What did you put in place like to make that an actualization or a reality for you? Yeah. So it was actually quite a lengthy process. Obviously, when you line the dates up, that's not hard to see. But for me, it was I'm a very kind of um, analytical and structured person. So I it had to be planned for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, quite often, you know, the 85% from the poll you mentioned, the, the instinct is just, just to quit and then work something else out. But that, yeah. that I was never going to do that so for me it was all about planning so the first thing was working out what I wanted to do um, I guess I had to fit with what I'm good at and what I love so you know I spoke to people I know I did my own research you know I know a lot of people in you know real estate and construction and yeah. that kind of thing and, and it just happened to be that mortgage broking was what came up yeah um, and you know that's ticked a lot of boxes 
it meant I could work for myself. It meant I could help people. It meant I could be involved in the real estate kind of industry. I like, you know, I like working with numbers and all that kind of thing. So it just kind of, that kind of just stood out as, all right, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, and as I mentioned, it was a lot of planning. So it had to be something, I guess, that I could gradually work into. Yep. Uh, mortgage broking isn't something where you can just start and start earning a good income from the get-go. Like I literally had to build it up from zero clients to what I have now. Um, so, you know, I even went to the detail of um, working out what income, like kind of a baseline income I needed to live. Yeah. Um, I went through a process of cutting down all my costs where I could. I rang up my insurance company. I rang up and asked for better rates. I, I cancelled my Foxtel. I, you know, I, was, I think I was reading the Barefoot Investor at the time. Yeah. I know a lot of people have read and that kind of helps you through that process. So yeah. I literally sat down and did all that kind of stuff. And I worked out how much income I needed to um, to survive. Yeah. And I kind of worked out that I could, if I cut down my current job um, to, you know, three days a week, I could, I could do that. So I actually went and spoke to my boss who was really supportive. And um, I don't know whether she had picked up that I wasn't happy or whatever, but I, I yeah. literally sat down and I said, look, um, I'm not sure that, this industry is for me long-term and, you know, I want to look at getting some other skills. Um, and she was, she was really good. And, you know, we talked, I touched a minute ago about how I think doing a good job is important. And this is why, because, Perfect, because yeah. I felt I was, you know, I was had value in the business. I had some leverage to be able to say, Hey, look, this is what I want to do. I can still offer you something for three days a week. Um, and, you know, I had a, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a pretty good reputation in the business, I hope. Um, and she kind of said, yeah, no worries, L let's do it. So it, I kind of got lucky because um, there was someone who was working a part-time role who actually wanted to become full-time and work in, kind of move into management. So we literally switched jobs. Um, so I went from my full-time management job to a three-day-a-week uh, coaching role. Nice. So I still got to stay involved in the team in in the area and I just cut my days down and um, obviously my income took a hit. I went from, you know, one full-time to 0.6. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you know, the other key thing was I, you know, had a partner who was also had an income and she was supportive yes. about me, me doing this as well. Um, so, yeah, I ended up being December 2017 was when I started um, – at, at three days a week and started studying to do my mortgage broking qualification. That's awesome, man. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. There's a great example why it does pay to, you know, have integrity and to do the right thing. Because when you ask that question, Definitely. obviously, man, they saw plenty of value and you did a coaching role there, which was different to what you were doing. Just explain that. Like what were you actually doing day to day, which was yeah. different to what you were doing before. So whereas, Obviously, working as a manager, you're responsible for a, you know, a specific team and then you deliver the results for that team. As a coach, you were kind of looking at working across the whole department with newer newer staff, helping onboard them, um, you know, helping with people that might need to get better at certain skills. You can help, you know, upskill them. And one of the selling points for me was that I'd been in the industry for, you know, by that point, you know, almost 10 years or something. So, you know, I had the skills to be able to transition into a role like that without without the business really losing much. 
Yeah, that's good. You mentioned as well that, um, you know, the, the importance of planning and, you know, putting something in place. You said you communicated that to, to your partner as well. How important yep. was that for you, like that supportive role that, that she's played in it? Yeah, really important. I mean, obviously, you, you know, you can't really make a decision like this without yeah. having support of, you know, of your of your significant other. Um, and, you know, obviously she would would have known that I was unhappy as well. I would have, you know, talked to her about, you know, the fact that it's not something I want to do um, for the rest of my life. So, yeah, she was, she was great. And obviously the fact that she worked full-time meant that, you know, it wasn't such such an issue for us as, you know, as a household, obviously, to keep, you know, to survive and pay the mortgage and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, really important. And so when you made the switch, Steve, you've obviously got a picture in your head what it's going to be like. You know, you get to work for yourself now, man. This is going to be good, isn't it? You know, and yep. there's a, maybe a little bit of a misconception that when you work for yourself, you can pretty much do whatever you want and when you want to do it, but that's definitely not the case. And some of the hours, um, they might be flexible at times, but I guess there's certain things we have to do when you have to do them, you know, and, and some of it's not negotiable. So... How did you go with that switch? Like, what were you thinking leading into it about the challenge that was ahead? And how did you find it initially? Like, this is real, real early stages I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, so obviously I was working three days a week, obviously, in yeah. a in a full-time job while also um, starting. So, you know, by the time I'd finished my studies and actually started working as a mortgage broker. How long were the studies, um, by the way? I ended up. Signing, so I signed my agreement at franchise agreement. So as a mortgage broker, you operate your own franchise. That's the model. Um, yeah. So I did that was February 2019. So it was kind of a 12-month, let's call it, yeah. um, of doing my study and getting myself organized. Um, so, yeah, so Feb 2019 was when I started. So working a three-day-a-week job and then also starting this business from absolutely zero. Yeah. Um, so at early days, you're not super busy, but as, you know, as you start to get into it um it definitely became busy and i was essentially working two two jobs so i would on my three days i'd work sometimes during work is taking phone calls and stuff going home after those days doing more work and then on my on my two other days obviously trying to trying to build things up so excuse me yeah tough definitely tough and yeah you make a good point but you just assume when you work for yourself that you get to kind of do your own thing, which, you know, yes, it's true to an extent, but there's the buck stops with you. So there's no one else that's going to do your work. You can't call in sick. <laughs> you can't take a day off. You can't just leave it. It has to be done. So, um, you know, and that's why I say doing something that you're passionate about, we'll touch on this a bit more later, but doing something that you're passionate about is really important because that's what's going to help you get through that is knowing that you're doing something that you love doing as opposed to just doing something for other reasons. Um, so, yeah, it, um, it was tough and you, you do have doubts along the way. Um, and I don't know if you're going you're to ask this question, but um, definitely some kind of doubts where you think, oh, have I done the wrong, right thing? Crap, have I done the wrong thing? Um, you know, I had all those feelings. Uh, you know, you see saw my colleagues in the workers' comp industry moving up in, into senior roles and that kind of stuff, and you and you kind of question yourself from time. Mm. But, you know, 
I have faith in myself and confidence in myself that um, I was I was heading in the right direction. And you know, you get feedback as well. You know, when you start getting those reviews from clients saying, you know, I'm so glad I went to Steve. You know, really helped yeah. us um, get yeah. feedback from from the from Smartline, who was the, the mortgage breaking company that I started with. Um, you know, they all help you show that you know you're hitting those checkpoints along the way, and they they kept kept me going. What about like understanding how to actually get your first client? Well, let's talk about your first client. Like, did you actually have coaching or did you have some sort of mentor to say, look, Steve, you've got two days a week, yeah. three days a week, whatever it is. Here are the activities you need to do every day to actually build this. Yeah. And were you able to prioritize? And did you hold yourself accountable to that as well? To be able yeah. To good question. So, yes, the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, I did have a mentor and yes, they kind of do set you up with um, kind of an activity plan of do, do these things every day. Um, one of the other things that we did early on was they kind of get you to write down, get a spreadsheet and just write down a hundred, a hundred people that you know um, and their email addresses. And that's kind of your first kind of target market because the reality is, is that your first client is generally going to be someone you know that yeah. knows that you're becoming a mortgage broker that has yeah. potentially think, been thinking about buying a house or refinancing their home loan or whatever. So my, my first handful of clients were all people I knew, which is good because, you know, that helps give you a little boost. It's not such an intimidating, um, I guess, experience when, you know, you're dealing with a friend, for example, yeah. um, that that is, you know, helping you as much as you're helping them. So... Yeah, first client was was a friend, and then yeah, the first handful were friends, and we and we went on from there. I want to go back to the mentor thing. How important was that, man? Did you find that was? Yeah, good. Yeah, you had so that it, person that was able you were able to confide in. Like, I'm sure there would have been phone calls and conversations when definitely you had doubts, maybe too sometimes, and just to make sure you were on the right on the right track. Yeah. So yeah, one of the, the having a mentor is actually a requirement in the industry um, for people without finance or banking experience, which I didn't have. So although it was something that you had to have, it's still, as you say, it's good to have. It was very good to have someone that you could just pick up the phone or catch up for lunch or whatever and just talk through. Especially, you know, coming from, like I said, out of the finance industry, you know, come up with scenarios that you have no idea how to deal with. So having someone that you can just pick up the phone and say, hey, this is a situation I've got, what can I do kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, that's obviously really helpful. And, um, <clears throat> you know, having a, beside a mental, obviously having support network of, the, you know, the people that are there to help you at Smartline and having your own um, other co mortgage broking colleagues and stuff like that just to talk to was, yeah, obviously really helpful. I just want to talk about one other thing as well. This is, in, in the whole decision-making process before you made the switch. I just want to go back quickly. Yep. You mentioned in your bio that the rewards outweighed the risks. That's what you said in there. So do you like, did you have a list? Did you, was it a mental list? Did you actually make an effort to write it down and sort of come up with, you know, reasons why I should stay and reasons why I should actually leave? Or was it just that you had enough and you just needed to, to get out of there, you know? I don't know if I sat down and, you know, specifically wrote down a list, but it was definitely in my head that um, that, that the rewards did outweigh the risks. Um, I think when you kind of rationalise it, it was 
I I was kind of pretty confident that if I crashed and burned, I know that I could go back to work yeah. at comp and get a job at one yeah. of the companies I'd worked for or one or another company. So yeah. um, when I thought about it like that, it was kind of a it was a no brainer decision for me to give this a try. You know, I don't have children yet. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't that kind of weight on me either. And it was just something I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Um, so, yeah. So it's like a bit of a free hit, really, when you thought of it like that. Almost. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Do you remember your first client? I do, yeah. Were you nervous? Still a friend. We're still a friend. We're still friends, which is good. <laughs> friends, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, nervous, yes, definitely. Um <clears throat> It's the first time you're doing something, and you're and, you know, yeah. as as you know, getting a home loan, buying a property is the biggest financial decision we're ever going to make. So, um, the good thing was that this particular client was um, really looking for the knowledge and the education side of things, which is something I I think I'm pretty good at. So they were really appreciative of me being able to talk them through the process of of buying buying their first home and that was because they were a first home buyer. So I think that made it a lot easier. Um, yeah. And uh, talk about like building up your portfolio now. So obviously you've been at this for, for a number of years. Like what, what are some of the challenges you had sort of early days and then just starting to actually build and getting some sort of flow and continuity as far as clients? Like can you sort yeah. of Well, so mortgage broking is really a word of mouth business. So we, you know, you don't do a lot of advertising. You don't, yeah. people just don't walk in the door like they do a shop and say, "I want to, I want a loan." It's yeah. all about word of mouth. So the important thing for me early was really doing a good job for the clients, you know, the, those people that you do know, because yeah. the way that mortgage broking works is that, is that if you do a good job for someone, they're going to tell two of their friends, and they're, you know, they've got that trust. You know, that's someone they know has told them to come and see me. Um, so it, that's just one of those things that it takes a while to develop. That has to be organic. You can't force that. You just have to keep doing a good job for the people in front of you and just trust the process that if you do the right thing by your clients, they're going to tell someone and then the next person is going to walk in the door. So, And that's, that's the way it's kind of worked out at the moment is that, you know, this is my second full year of... Mm working as a mortgage broker and now I'm really starting to see a lot of um, referred clients coming in the door. Um, awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is really good. And that makes me, makes me realize that I'm, I'm doing the right thing and I'm on the right track because, you know, if you weren't doing a good job, you wouldn't be getting those referrals. So um, yeah, it, it kind of becomes a snowball effect and actually what probably accelerated it was COVID um strangely enough you know i remember actually remember quite a few people saying to me oh you've come in at a really bad time like there's you know we don't know what's going to happen it's going to be really bad and it turned out to be completely the opposite yeah um a lot of mortgage brokers had their best year on record because as you know the property market went crazy yeah um and it it was just busy for a year not like non-stop it was it was pretty intense actually yeah. <laughs> well, i was in the building industry at the time as well and well, people couldn't go anywhere, man. So they'll, they'll spend money exactly on right. 
Exactly right. Pools went berserk. I remember there was pools getting poured left, right, and centre. Renovations were going nuts as well. So a lot of refinancing. I would have thought, Steve, at the time. Yeah. Well, actually, it was more well, because of the um, incentives from the government for construction, home builder grant, and that kind of thing. It was everyone was building. Um, so that was a lot. A lot of my work was, yeah, was house and land. Okay, that's interesting. So. Mm. New subdivisions, like yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff kind of out in the outer regions, you know, uh, Gawler and Anglevale and yeah. Mount Barker and that kind of thing, yeah. And let's talk about like the interest rate situation now. So we're recording this in October, towards the end of October, twenty twenty-two. Yep. We've had how many rate rises in a row? Half Seven a dozen? in a row since Seven. every month since April. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone <laughs> from so going back to April to what it is now. There's been a what a two two and a half percent jump or thereabouts or is it more yeah, than that? Yeah, yep, correct. Okay, how do you think it's going? Right, like you're you're in the industry. What are your observations? And you foresee more to come, and then do you see it changing, or do you see it just continuing to go this direction? It's really tough. I mean, it's as we know, it's been it's driven by inflation. So unless inflation starts to curb, then there's going to be that kind of um, lever for the RBA to keep increasing it until they see that. And but I did read an article uh, the other day that they're starting to see household spending reduce. Yeah, which is obviously a key to curbing inflation. So you know, if that's the case, that would hopefully mean that you know maybe we're towards the top of these increases, which I would hope. Um, the next RBA meeting is, is next week on Melbourne Cup Day, so we'll find out if there's going to be another increase. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll. I'll I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know. But you know, you'd like to think that if it was, if there was another increase, it's going to be a small one, maybe yeah. another 0.25 or something around that mark. Um, but yeah, look, I definitely acknowledge it's becoming tough for people at the moment. You know, um, with the increase to the household budget caused just by interest rates, on top of all the other stuff that are, you know, petrol's going crazy at the moment. Right. You know, the, the grocery shop and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's understandable that people are doing it, starting to do it tough at the moment. And a lot of people that bought their first home during that COVID kind of period mm. have never seen interest rates this high before. To them, this yeah. you know, having interest rates in the fours and fives is is a bit crazy because they 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 yeah. bought their home when it was two point one nine or something. So yeah, um, you know, the the older people that are listening will will kind of scoff yeah. and say, well, you know. We had 18% back in the day and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, um, it costs a lot more these days, I guess, as well. That's the thing. I remember I was having a whinge when I bought a house back in 2008. It wasn't the first property I bought, but it was an investment property and it was through Bank SA. And I remember it was 9.2% I was paying then. (laughs) Yep. You know, 9.2. So nearly nearly 10%. That's almost double what it is now. Correct. Yeah. You know, at the time, I probably didn't have the responsibility that I've got now. And I remember my parents having a whinge about, you know, what they used to pay. But you're right, man. These days, I think there's a lot more distractions too. There's a lot more things, consumer items that are thrown in our face. So you've got to work through them more. I think when my parents went through that same stage in their life, life was much more simple. Like there wasn't fucking Foxtel and all this other shit. Keeping up with the Joneses wasn't a a thing. These days, it's just at you all the time, you know, social media and... I think it takes a level head to sort of pull yourself in and, you know, 
just have a think about what you're doing. Um, not to mention, you know, petrols. I drove past this morning, two dollars. I think two dollars fifteen. Mm. I saw a liter. I mean, you know, back then, well, when I was when I first started driving, and that was what twenty years ago. Just a bit, a bit more than that. It was like you know, sixty five cents, man. <laughs> yeah. like, so it's it's just crazy. Like, and groceries are the same as well. Everything's just a lot more expensive now, and I don't think wages or the average wage has sort of come up to any level that corresponds to that that rise. You know, so yeah. I think that's why it's important for people to make sure they're keeping, and this is a bit of a shameless plug at the moment for mortgage broking, but, you know, times like this, it's really important to make sure that you're actually paying what you should. Yeah. Um, Just like, you know, if you remember when I spoke about when I was working out what to do, I kind of sat down and went through what my base income was and I rang all my insurance companies up and I rang Foxtel up and all that kind of stuff. This is when you should be doing that kind of thing because there's money to be saved by out there if you're prepared to put the work in but if you have a mortgage broker you don't have to put the work in that's that's my job to do it for you so you know what most people are going to be on above five percent at the moment after all these increases so um this is when you should be looking at what what's out there and you can save quite a lot of money just by just by refinancing for example because there's still banks offering low four percent so you're going to save quite a lot of money if if you look at doing that now give us an example so i think you spoke offline about maybe some incentives as well that are going around is that still the case like are there are there, yeah, so, are there incentives to switch over yeah yeah quite a number of banks uh will pay you um you know varies from two thousand to four thousand um dollars for somebody to refinance their home loan over to them and that's just that it's literally they just pay you cash and it's just an incentive to obviously bring new customers in the door and it you know it roughly costs you let's call it Six hundred to a thousand dollars to refinance, just in the cost you've got to pay. So you come out obviously well ahead. So yeah, you can save money and also make money at the same time. Strangely enough. Yep. And the other thing too, guys, this isn't just for your own property too. And I know things are tough at the moment, but Steve, I know you do a lot of like investment properties too. So people buying yeah. maybe it might even be their first investment property, but you'd be surprised what you're actually. What your capacity is and what you're able to do just i mean yeah pe- people should have a look at that as an option you know as well because obviously cash flow mm. is a big thing owning an asset if you're able to get into the market as an investor even see that might be an option as well if you can't actually yeah especially thing. in this um rental market i mean obviously we're, we're based in adelaide here at the moment and you know we've got probably the tightest rental market in the uh, in the country and, and um rental yields are just going up because it's so hard for people to get a rental property. So there's that much competition that it's just pushing rents up um, and it's happening across the country, but, you know, not, not to that same extent. So, you know, compared to, you know, getting a couple of percent in a savings account or in a term deposit or something, you, you know, yeah. you can get a rental yield of four or 5%. So, you know, your money's going to be getting working harder for you, I guess. And you're also getting the capital growth yeah. of owning a property as well. So, um, yeah, it's something definitely good for people to look at, um, you know, when they're in a position to be able to put some money into something. Cool, man. Just a couple more questions, man, and I'll let you go. Yeah. First one is, what's the big difference that you found between having a traditional job or a PAYG job versus self-employment? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's 
I'm personally much happier. Like I just, as I said to you before, I just, I realized that that's not what I wanted to, I didn't want to do the PAYG nine to five thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's just having control of your own destiny. Like if I want to turn my business into something big, I know what I need to do. I can hire staff. I can, you know, yeah. pull a few different levers and I can create a big business. But if I want to keep it something small and a bit more of a boutique feel, I know I can yeah. do that. Yeah. So I guess, you know, everything I put into the business comes to me as opposed to going to an employer who's going to pay you a salary. So, I mean, that that's the big thing. Um, and I guess also it's the fact that, as I said before as well, that the buck kind of stops with you. So the good thing about running your own business is that you get time to kind of do, you know, if I want to do something during the day, I can do it. If I yeah. want to try and make some time to play a, play a few holes of golf, I can try and do that every now and again, but yes. the work's still there to be done and I have to do it. So, you know, it's not uncommon for me sometimes, especially during the busy times, you know, to be working at eight, nine o'clock at night. Mm. But, you know, I go to the gym three times a week in the morning now. So, you know, I kind of give myself time to do some stuff for myself. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is to my clients. So I need to make sure that I'm I'm putting the work in and getting done what I need to. And that's dictated by, yeah, the, the workflow that's coming in. Yeah. Was the security an issue for you? A lot of people hold themselves back because... I think it's a bit of an illusion, in my opinion, anyway. Like, you know, job security. I think I've seen that many redundancies in my mm. time and they come from nowhere as well. Like, it's just, it's ruthless. So that, that didn't bother me personally, but I'm quite structured as well. I'm just wondering from your perspective, you're a quite, quite a structured person. Yeah. Did you find that was a, a hurdle or a limitation initially that you had to overcome? Yeah, of course. I mean, when you work in the PAYG world, you're used to the, at getting an income every week or fortnight yeah. or month or whenever you get paid. Um, and you get used to that because you plan your life around the pay coming in and, you know, paying your bills and saving for your holiday and all that kind of stuff. So it just becomes so convenient and so comfortable. And that's, you know, I can imagine that's one of the reasons why people don't want to jump. Um, so getting your head around that change. So, so what I'm doing now, which is I get paid monthly, totally commission based. I don't, can't tell you what I'm going to, I mean, I can have some kind of plan, but I can't, you know, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to get paid in six months time, for example. Yeah. So, um, you know, changing that mindset um, is, you know, takes a lot of time, I guess, and a lot of just keeping yourself on that path. But that's what, again, I come back to the whole planning part of it is that yeah. if you plan this stuff out, you can control a lot more than you can if you just go off and yeah. you know, make decisions without putting that time in. Yeah, I agree with you, man, 100%. I think if you've got some idea, and you've got to know your personality type as well. And yeah, everyone's true. Got a, different, um, a different risk appetite or risk threshold yeah. as well, okay? So it's, there's no one fit, what's one fit, one size fits all, I'm trying to say, for everyone. So I think knowing yourself and understanding that first is critical before making any silly decisions like quitting your job, you know? So Definitely. it's just... It's awesome to see, man. Like you, you've been very methodical in your planning. You've you've executed it, and yeah, I think it's awesome, man. Like you're doing, you're having a crack at something. You're enjoying it. You're putting the hard work in. So I think you've uh, you've pretty much hit the jackpot, man. Thanks, mate. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a 
long journey so far, but I'm I'm definitely loving it and I know 100% that I did the right thing. Um, and I'm really, really glad that I sat down and and put that time into plan yeah. it and, and, and execute it, yeah. Just the last question that I ask everyone is obviously this is about overcoming limitations and stepping into and actualizing what our potential is. And we've all got the potential to do something different if that's what we want to do. But what does it mean for you to be limitless, man? I think I think that the limitations, the, our only limitations are the ones we set ourselves. And I quite often think that we think that we can't do things, but often it's just procrastinating. Um, we just put things in the too hard basket because we're comfortable doing what what we're doing and what you know the income we're earning, as I said a minute ago. Uh, but we are really capable when we put our minds to it and when we actually work towards a goal. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to experience short-term pain to get long-term gain. Yeah. So, um, you know, as they say, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. So I think it's just overcoming that kind of mindset. Um, you can really remove a lot of those limitations that, that we think we have. Yeah, cool, man. Delayed gratification. I love it. It's... Uh... It's something that it's a skill I reckon that we can we can anyone can develop. It's just learning to to stop that initial sort of reward for the long term. Yeah. So yeah, I think you worded that well. If someone wants to get in touch with you, maybe they've just got some questions or they want to reach yeah, out sure. to you. I've used you personally, I know my brother's used you recently as well. So yep. you know, I highly recommend your services. And anyone out there that even just wants to have a chat about their situation, how can they best contact you? Yeah, well, there's obviously plenty of options to reach out. So, you know, email, phone, uh, my website, uh, Facebook and Messenger. So I know you're going to put those, um, yeah, links up on, yeah. on the, on the pod. So yeah, I'm happy to have a chat with anybody, obviously as a mortgage broker, but also people that, you know, if they're really wanting to get stuck into making a career change, I'm happy to speak to people about that too. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. It's been Thanks awesome. For yeah. Thanks for your insights. And yeah, I know that people definitely get value from listening to this. And there might be someone in I this situation so. that, you know. 8.5 8. out of 10 people are going to be in that situation, as oh, you said. Well, that's according to that. So, I mean, I don't know how accurate that is, but. It's pretty accurate. I've heard the similar stats, yeah. And from, from my experience, it's just, it's horrendous how many people hate what they're doing. And they're only doing it because of a paycheck at the end of the week. And so. Mm. Don't get me wrong, it's important. Like money's important. We need that. But I think if you if you get to that stage, it's probably time to start thinking about what else is possible. Just changing the way you think and stop talking yourself out of any possibility. Just like I watch my kids, they're just they're little dreamers. You know, they're curious. And I yeah. think it's good to bring that back, that element of curiosity about, you know, what do I want to do and how can I do this? And then just start from there and get the right people around you. And I, I'm with you, man. I think anything's possible. So, yeah. Yep. I agree. Awesome. Just start right. planning. That's it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me, man. And guys, any questions, uh, hit up Steve and yeah, he'll be more than happy to, to have a chat with you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe. And also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.